second week, or I don't know what week we're in. We're in Acts. And we are in um, Acts 4, verses 1 through 14. Today we are going to be looking at what I call the dirty work of the apostles. And there's a few different ways you can look at dirty work. And today we're going to be looking at it in a specific way that I think is important for each of us to pay attention to. Um, it's not my favorite type of sermon, kind of calling us to account today, but it's one that I think is important. So let us read Acts 4, 1 through 14 together. Acts 4 says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if, you, if we are building, being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has come become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dirty work. It can mean a few things. It can mean illicit work that's done under the table. It can also mean work that requires you to pull up your pants by the, by the straps and pull up your sleeves and get to work. And that's the kind of work we're talking about today. The work that nobody really wants to do, but has to be done anyways. The kind of work that makes things run. And when I think about that kind of work, I think about a show that my kids and I used to watch together when it was on. And we still watch it every now and then when we catch it in reruns. But it's a show called Dirty Jobs. Have any of you seen it? It's a great show. It's a show that makes us laugh. It's a show that grosses us out. If you haven't seen it, it's hosted by a man named Mike Rowe, who is all sorts of charismatic. And he goes around the country looking at the different types of jobs that really make this country run. But they're dirty and they're gross, a lot of them. Some of them are just really scary because they're, they're up high or on windows, you know, 14 stories up high or maybe 80 stories up high. They're on um, um, light posts, you know, fixing the electricity way up high. They are also in sewers, really dirty, making sure that our sewage is flowing the way that it should. 
a job that has to be done, needs to be done in order for our civilization to work that we way the, the way that we want it to. We want to be able to flush our toilet and think that nothing else happens because we just want to, you know, ignore the rest and know that it's taken care of, right? I flush my toilet. I don't have to think about it again. That's the way I want it to be. But in honesty, there's people making sure that if my toilet gets flushed, everything else is being taken care of. That's the dirty work. And what is happening here in scripture, I call dirty work because Paul and John are doing work that is absolutely necessary for society and for culture. They are sharing the news of Jesus. They're sharing the good news of Jesus. They are doing work that is creating healing for people who need healing. And it's work that has to happen in order for their society, in order for us to finally get the word one day. If it hadn't been for them, you and I would not be here today. That work was necessary. Yet the interesting thing, if we look at our society today, I think you and I, some of us, maybe not all of us, but definitely me sometimes, I like to sit back and think that's dirty work for somebody else to do. That sharing the word, that going out and shining God's light, that pulling up my bootstraps and actually saying the word Jesus out loud outside of church. That work that actually has the power to change the lives of people, the lives of communities, and in all honesty, the division and brokenness we see in our world. The scripture tells us that the only name by which we can be saved is the name of Jesus. That's not just individuals. That's the world in which we live in. We live in a broken, hurting, divided world. And every day it's getting more broken and more divided. And you and I, I'm generalizing, obviously. If you're working hard against this, praise you and thank you. But I think more of us than not sit back and think we can't do anything about it because we're individuals and we don't have the power to go up against all that's happening in this world. But what this scripture shows us and what this scripture tells us is that we have all the power we need because number one, we're powered by the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have a calling on our lives to share the light that was given to us with this world. Yet most of us are sitting back, hoping that somebody else is taking care of that dirty work. Because it's hard and it's scary. And it doesn't seem so relevant to our everyday ins and outs. So let's look at what happens here. And why it's so important to their time. And why maybe we need to be encouraged, pushed off the ledge a little bit today. So we're in, we are in Acts 4. But in order to understand the fullness of what's happening here, we have to go back into Acts 3. We need some context. And I'm going to tell you every time we read scripture together, you need context. You cannot pull a piece of scripture right off of the page and say, this is what God says. You have to have the context. You have to understand what's going on around those words. 
And what's going around on around these words is that Paul and John had showed up at the temple. Now remember, at the temple at these times for the Israelites is the place where God's presence resides. There is a place inside this huge edifice, this huge building, where the presence of God is believed to live. And the only person who can go into that place is the highest of high priests. But then there's other priests who can mediate between you and God, who can make sacrifices for you. If you have sinned, if something has gone wrong and you need to ask for forgiveness for your sins, you can buy an animal and from the, at the temple and you can have it sacrificed for you so that you can have forgiveness. This is the way things were done before Jesus. This is why Jesus is seen as the ultimate sacrifice because we never need to do those things again. We now have intimate access with Jesus. But at this time, we had to go to the temple. The temple was the place to do this. And at this point, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and they had daily prayers at specific times during the day. And you, you went to the temple. People would all go to the temple to pray. And they are at the specific place of the temple called Solomon's Portico, Solomon's Porch. And it just the reason why they say that is because it's part, one of the only pieces of the building, the original temple that still existed after it was torn down after King Solomon built it, way in the Old Testament. And at this place, at the, at the beautiful gate, at the gate called Beautiful, was a man who was there every single day. And so if you went there for prayer every day at three o'clock, you would know that this man was still there because every day his family would carry him there because he could not walk. He was what they called lame. His family would take him there because his only way of making money to make a living was to beg for money. And so his family day in and day out would carry him to the temple so that he could stay there all day begging and then they would take him home. And so he meets Peter and John and he asks them for money. And they say, I'm so sorry, the thing, I don't have money. What you ask for, they say, we do not have. But what we do have, we'll give you. And what they did have, which still amazes me today, which probably astounds us. And a lot of us may not know what to make of this because we don't do miracles here, right? We don't understand how to handle miracles in this very perceiving world where if I don't see it, I don't really know if I can believe it. But they said, what I do have, I'll give you. And what they gave him was his walk, was his feet, was his legs. They said, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now, the problem with that was that it was three o'clock on temple day. And there were people everywhere. And what happened was witnessed by all of these people. Most of these people would not have been Jesus-believing Jews. Do you understand that people who took Jesus on as their Savior, as their Messiah, they still went about doing their life as a Jewish person also. They were both Jewish and they were Christian. They didn't have the name Christian yet, but they still did their Jewish life. So they went to the temple to pray, but they believed that Jesus was their Messiah. They had both of these things together because they were ethnically Jewish. It was part of who they were. So most of the people there were not Jesus-believing people, but what they saw, what they saw Peter and John do to this man, this healing, had them a flutter. If we had seen that with our, our own eyes, we would have thought, uh, I don't know what I would have thought. 
I probably would have thought I was having a stroke. I'm just going to say. And so they asked them, what happened? How did you do this? And Peter and John told them about Jesus. Peter and John reminded them about Jesus. And we're told that 2,000 more people came to believe in Jesus in that day because of that instance. But because of that, the priests took note. Because of all of the rabble-rouser, I used rabble-rouser in the last service, and I'll use it here again because it's true. Peter and John were seen as rabble-rousers, and I don't think we use that word enough today. I think it's a great word. I think we need to use it a lot more because it's a perfect way to understand what they thought, what these priests thought of John and Peter. They were causing trouble. John and Peter were nobodies, and here they are with a sea of people around them garnering all of this attention. Not only were they garnering attention, but they were talking about Jesus. And these priests thought they had the Jesus problem solved. These priests went to a lot of effort to make Jesus go away. They literally had Jesus crucified so they didn't have to deal with the Jesus problem anymore. Yet all of a sudden, they're dealing with Jesus again. And so they find John and Peter at the stairs, they see the man that they themselves have seen there over and over again. They see him healed. And they don't know what to do, but they know there's a problem. Not only do they know there's a problem, they realize that they're talking about Jesus being resurrected. And these are Sadducees. And these Sadducees are people who don't believe in resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection, but resurrection at all. And what's happening here is their authority is being pushed up against. And what happens to us when our authority is being pushed up against? Us as humans, corporations, systems, we all get a little bit defensive, don't we? If I'm a mom and I tell my kids to do something and I get an eye roll, which I do all the stinking time, it happens, it's annoying. But I get defensive. I'm like, why are you rolling your eyes? I just asked you to do the dishes, which is your stinking job, by the way. He's, he's shaking his head at me, but he knows what I'm talking about. But when authority pushes back at us, when we're in authority and we get people pushing back at our authority, we get defensive. Our hackles get raised. We get upset. And our mind goes, instead of being open and being, oh, let me think about that. Yes, let's talk about why you're not doing the dishes today. Let's talk about, let's think, okay, why, let's have a discussion about why it is that you're asked to do the dishes. Let's have a discussion about why it's unfair that you're asked to do the dishes. And let's have a discussion about a better schedule in which you're asked to do these dishes. I'm not going to do that. I'm your mom. The dishes are dirty and that's your job. Go do them, right? That's what we do. We don't think, we don't open our minds to the bigger discussion. And that's just on a family basis. Think about it in corporations. It's all over the news today, the way corporations are misusing their power. The United States gymnastics, the way that they protected one man who abused so many girls all to protect a system, to protect an organization. Guy, I'm sorry, I'm gonna to have to say it, but Penn State football, protecting a man. Not just the man, but they did it so they could protect a system. I don't think they cared about the man, they cared about the system. 
They didn't want the system to fall. In show business, when they protect somebody who's taking advantage of other people, it's not the somebody they're protecting, it's the system. And when I do it in my family, it's not really the dishes issue that I'm protecting, it's my authority I'm protecting. It's the system, it's the parent, kid, system I'm protecting. And that's what's happening here. They don't want to hear about this man that's been healed. They wouldn't care if there were 10,000 people standing there healed. They would not have cared. They would not have opened their ears. They would not have seen Jesus at work. All they would have seen would have been a threat to the system, a threat to their everyday lives, a threat to what they know as normal, what was comfortable for them, what they loved about life. Every day they woke up and this is what life was. They went to church, what they went to temple. They prayed on, in these specific hours. People came to them. They gave them money to sacrifice things. They hold official and power, but not even the people who were in power did this. Regular Israelites did the same thing. They woke up, they went to temple. Their religious life looked like this and like this and like this, but they knew it. It was comfortable to them. It was a routine. It was a system. And so even when they saw healed people, only 2,000 said yes to Jesus, but there were still more who said no, having seen the man healed. Because they're protecting their way of life. So Peter and John get arrested. And they can't do anything about it that night because it's too late in the night to do anything about it. So the next day, the Sadducees gather the high priest Annas and Caiaphas and some other officials. And they try and talk about what are they going to do? Because honestly, all the people did was heal somebody. They actually haven't done anything wrong. So what are they going to do to rein in this Jesus problem? Because guess what? It's back. And the fact that Jesus is back has proven that they were wrong. But they can't say that. They can't live into that. And if they let these people continue to do what they're doing, it's just more proof that they were wrong about Jesus. So they say to John and to Peter, the only question that they can really ask them, under what authority, under what authority have you done this healing? And in their world, there's only two authorities that can do this kind of work. The authority of Satan and the authority of God. Those are the only authorities that are powerful enough to heal somebody. And Peter says to them, and Peter's response is beautiful. Peter's response gives me hope for this world because Peter's response, what scripture tells us, tells me that we're not alone. Because it says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit filled Peter And the Holy Spirit encouraged Peter and said this, rulers and elders of people, if you are being called to account today, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, if you're honestly calling us to account for healing a man who has been broken for 40 years, then all I have to say to you is that we did it under the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's where I would have stopped, but they didn't. Whom you crucified, whom you killed, and whom God raised from the dead. 
And they had nothing to say to that. There was nothing that the leaders could say against what Peter and John had did. There was nothing that they could hold them for because they hadn't done anything wrong. And so after much talking, they realized that all they could do was tell them not to talk about Jesus anymore. All that they could say to Peter and John was, you guys can go, but we are telling you right now, you are not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John said this, you know scripture. So let me ask you, is it right for man to follow God or to follow you? Is it right for man to follow God or to follow you? But as for us, we're going to continue to be obedient to God. You see, Peter and John did an amazing thing. And they took seriously the work that they were called to do, which is to shine the light of Jesus in a ridiculously broken world. Regardless of what circumstances that put them in. They could have continued to be in jail. In fact, we're going to see in Acts, they're going to continue to be jailed. Peter gets jailed three more times for this work. But this work is necessary for us to live in the world that God wants us to live in. God did not create us and say, go create families and make sure you have 401ks and make sure your kids have college funds and make sure your grandkids have college funds. No, God said to do three things, to love God, to love your neighbor, and to go into the world. Yay, they're back. To go into the world and to share the good news. That's perfect timing. And our job is to share that good news. But are we doing it? Or are we simply coming to church in a way of supporting a system that gives us comfort? Do we come to church on Sunday because it's what we've always done, what our parents did, what our parents want us to do? Or do we come here hoping to be filled up so we can go into the world and share what we were filled up with, with those who desperately need to know the love of Jesus Christ? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be taking seriously the work that God has given us to do, that God has equipped us to do. So as we take communion today, I want to encourage you, as I find it, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to seek God, to ask God how you can stop being a system supporter and start being a rabble rouser in your community, in your own family, so that this world can stop being so divided and broken because you as an individual are taking your work as a Jesus follower seriously. Imagine what would happen if every single one of us Jesus followers took our own work seriously. Imagine what the world would look like.